Hi, everybody. Adding a uh, post-edit um, disclaimer here. So I just wanted to make something uh, clear. After editing, I realized that uh, it may come off as a little bit confusing. So when I'm going through the line of kings, Njord all the way to Haft in the Black and then Harold Fairhair, I often mention um, that it's the Kingdom of Sweden. That is not true. What I really mean is that it's a um, a petty kingdom that is in what we now know of as Sweden. Throughout the episode, you'll hear me, you know, mentioning that this king took over, this king took over, et cetera, and this king gained land and things like that. What I'm really focusing on is following this family line. And what happens is they initial kings, they they start out in Uppsala, which is going to be on the east coast of Sweden. By the end of it, when we get down to like half in the black, the family has sort of like migrated over time to what is now modern day Oslo, which is in Norway. So I wanted to make that clear because when you first start with like Odin, Gilfi, Njord, and Freyr, I'm primarily talking about Uppsala. However, over time, when we get to Harold Fairhair and Haft in the Black, that takes place in Norway. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Hi, everybody. It is Sean from Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. I'm very excited to bring you this short episode. It's going to be just me, so it's a solo episode. And it's going to wrap up our series, mini-series, I should say, on the Vanir god Freyr, of which we just did two episodes, one discussing Chapter 37 of Gilfaganin from Snorri Sturluson's Prosetta, and then uh, the poem for Skirnis, which can be found in the Poetic Edda. Both stories dealt with a very similar story where Frey sees the uh, giantess Gerder and is absolutely captivated by her. And then he sends his servant, Skirner, to go ask for her hand in marriage. With some arm twisting, she eventually says yes. And I know in those episodes, I mentioned that uh, Snorri Sturluson, in his work in Yinglingasaga, he takes the humanized version of Freyr, tracks his descendants um, over the ages until it ends with a man called Hafton the Black. And then the entirety of Hemskringla goes into much longer stories on some of the major kings of his time in Norway. So it starts with like Hafton the Black, his son, Harold Fairhair, who we are pretty sure existed. Um, supposedly, he's the first king of Norway. And the current monarch of Norway, King Harold, can actually trace his lineage, supposedly, to this Harold Fairhair. Um, so it's not unlike the episode that I have done on the historical sons of Odin, where the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, along with some other sources, shows the descendants of a humanized version of the god Odin, and ultimately these figures become kings of actual lands on Earth, where you can trace those supposed kings down to current monarchs. In that case, it was England with Queen Elizabeth um, II and now King Charles III. So I think it's pretty cool because it always asks, it, it forces us to ask the question, when does myth become legend and when does legend become reality? Or if you are, you know, King Charles of England or King Harold of Norway, you have these supposed lines where you can trace your ancestry back a thousand years, sometimes even longer. There's actually sources that say you can trace it much longer than that. In the case of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, you can trace the uh, current monarch of England to a King Athelstan. In 936, he came from the family of Wessex, and you can trace the first king of Wessex to a man named Churdick in the year 500. Supposedly, you can track him all the way down to Adam and Eve, if the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle was correct. So anyway, we're going to have some fun here. I'm going to briefly go through 
Yinglinga saga, and I, I say very briefly because each of these figures I'm speaking to typically have about a page about them. So there is like a little story for each king, you know, for their son, etc. With Yinglinga saga, it is not unlike Snorri Sturluson's other work, Prologue of the Proseta, where the god Odin comes from a land in Turkey. He eventually migrates north. He's this very powerful warlord who is versed in magic. He travels north into Scandinavia. There, he becomes so powerful that he is incorrectly worshipped as a deity. There was a king of Sweden, or one of the king's petty kingdoms in, in Sweden, I should say. His name was King Gilfi. We've heard this name before. Um, he also features in the prologue of the Proseta. He also is the obscure figure who travels to, quote, Asgard to ask high, just as high, and third, all aspects of Odin. Odin becomes so powerful. He's well-versed in magic. He eventually takes over Gylfi's land by conquest. There is also a war. The Aesir and the Vanir have this war. It's sort of a tie. You know, one side wins, one side loses, and it kind of goes back and forth. They create a peace treaty. Peace treaty results in the exchange of hostages. So the Vanir give the Aesir, the god Njorth, and his son Frey. The Aesir give the Vanir, Mimir, and Honor. And the Vanir also give Kvasir. And Kvasir features in the story on the Mita poetry where he is ultimately killed and his blood is used to make the Mita poetry. And you can also assume that Frey's sister Freya is also sent over to the, the Aesir. So Odin eventually dies. He elects, I guess the best way to say this is Njord then becomes king of the land. He may have been elected, or maybe he was just chosen as the successor by Odin. What's really funny is that Odin, previously in the story, made uh, Frey and Njord priests. So, Njord had power over crops, and he was in charge of the well-being of mankind. When he died, his son Freyr, who's also known as Yingvi, assumed the throne, and he married Gerder. Funny story here, we just discussed the Proseta and Poetic Edda versions of this marriage. Freyr built a uh, town called Uppsala, which is in modern-day Sweden on the west coast, or excuse me, the east coast. There was much prosperity in his time. Eventually, he died, and his son Fjolnir um, took the kingdom. He was mighty, but he died in a vat of mead, which is rather humorous. Fjolnir's son was Svegdir, who married a woman named Vana. He traveled to Turkey, where the Aesir were supposedly from, and met his kinsmen. He was tricked and killed by a dwarf while drunk. You see a little um, consistency here with the death of this uh, bloodline. Svegvir's son, Vanlandi, then assumed the throne and married a woman named Driva. Vanlandi was a warrior. He was an absent husband. He ended up being smothered by a witch. And I want to say it was at the request of Driva, his wife. So his son Visbir then took the throne, and with his first wife, he had two children, Gisli and Andir. But then he married a second wife, and Gisli and Andir eventually burned him to death. So his son with his second wife was named Delmati. He inherited the kingdom. There was a famine when he, was, when he ruled. He ended up being killed by his chiefs as a sacrifice due to the famine. So his son Domar then takes the throne, and he married a woman named Drat. 
there were actually good seasons now, and it was a time of peace. He ended up dying peacefully in bed. So he's one of the few Yinglingas, or he's one of the few of the family of Yinglings that died in their bed. Eventually, his son Digvi assumes the kingdom, then his son Dag assumed the kingdom. He was a wise man. He had a sparrow who brought him news, not unlike Hugin and Munin. However, the bird was killed while out on one of its adventures. So Dag then sends an army there. He ended up being killed by a man throwing a pitchfork at him. So then Dag's son Agni assumed the throne, and he married a woman named Shkalf, and I probably said that incorrectly. Shkalf, his, his wife, ended up killing him by hanging him with a necklace. So then something interesting here happens. Agni's son Alrek and Eric assumed the throne. They actually both ruled together. They were able and skilled men, and they were always competing with each other until one day they went on an adventure, and then they killed each other in this competition. So Alrek and Eric passed away. At this point, Alrek's sons, Yingvi and Alf, both assumed the throne. Yingvi was a handsome warrior. Alf stayed at home. They ended up also killing each other because Alf grew jealous of Yingvi and stabbed his brother while his brother drank. Yingvi was able to get a death blow on Alf as well. So both of those kings died. Alf actually had a son named Hugliek. He was not a warrior, but he assumed the kingdom. He also stayed at home, and then he was invaded by King Haki, and he was killed. Haki then became the king of the land, and he was the first to do so since the beginning of our story. He was not among the, uh, the Yinglings. So he took Sweden, or the land in Sweden, via conquest from Hugliek, but was then invaded by Jorund and Eric. Jorund and Eric were actually Yingvi's sons. So for whatever reason, Alf's son Hugliek got the kingdom first. He died. Haki took over. And then Jorund and Eric, Yingvi's sons. Eric died while they uh, were mounting this campaign by King Haki. But Haki eventually died of the wounds that he received in this fight. So at this point, Jorund, son of Yingvi, son of Alrek, became the king. He was often away raiding. He was killed by a king, Gyland, while raiding in Denmark. So at this point, Jorun's son, Am, or Ani, took over. This is where it gets a little interesting, because An had some sinister intentions. He wanted to live forever. He killed his sons after making a deal with Odin, Odin, who you can assume is the god Odin at this point. And every time he killed somebody, he gained years of his life. However, he still aged. So he still physically aged. Um, but he just didn't die. And by the time he killed nine of his sons, eventually th the people were able to stop him because he was so weak and frail that he was not able to kill another one of his sons. And finally, the the line of On ended. And it's what's funny is that On lost the kingdom twice during his reign, but he got it back both times. But eventually, once he died, his 10th son, Egil, took the throne. Egil was no fighter. He sat at home at ease. He banished one of An's assistants or thralls named Tuni. Tuni eventually came back with an army and routed Egil's army. They fought battles and Tuni won them all. Egil then lost the throne because he fled to Denmark. However, when Egil got to Denmark, the current king of Denmark, who was King Frodi, lent his army for tribute. Egil went back and defeated Tuni's army, and he took back his kingdom. Um, and I want to say there's a little note in the uh, script where Tuni is actually a child of the god Tyr, 
but I could be wrong or I misinterpreted something. Egil was eventually killed by an ox on a hunting trip. His son, Otter, then assumed the throne. He was not as friendly to Frodi of Denmark. Again, Frodi of Denmark is the reason why his father got his throne back. So he stopped paying the tribute that he owed them. Frodi from Denmark invaded and raided Sweden. Otter, while this happens, sent his army to Denmark, and Otter died on that campaign. So then Otter's son, Edils, let's assume the throne, when he became king, he went raiding. He ended up marrying a maid from the raid that he captured named Ursa. There was also a king, Helgi, who invaded Sweden at this time. Edils eventually fled, and Helgi eventually took Ursa. However, Ursa came back when she found out that Helgi was actually also her father. So Ursa was married to her father pretty much without knowing without knowing that. They gave birth to a character named Hrolf Kraki, who is the main character in many other stories. Um, Jackson Crawford did a, a translation of that separate story as well, but I just found that very interesting that they added that in Yinglinga Saga. Adils also had some issues with Ali the Uplander from Norway, and he eventually died at a sacrifice by falling off his horse. So Adil's son was Eystein. When Eystein was king, a sea king named Salve burns Eystein alive in his house. Salve won a battle and became king, but the people eventually killed him. So we had another king here where he was not among the house of Yingling, but he took the throne for a little bit. However, when he died, Eystein's son, Yingvar, took the throne. Yingvar was a great warrior. He raided the Baltics. He eventually died in a battle there. So his son, Anund, took the kingdom. He made a road network all over Sweden. He eventually died in a landslide. So at that point, his son, Ingjald, takes the throne. He married a woman named Gothild, who was also from royalty. Somewhere along the line of his reign, he was either tricked in or accidentally ate a wolf's heart, which made him very vicious. During his reign at this point, he eventually murdered all the other Swedish kings, Red Wedding style. So he took all of Sweden. When he died, his son Olaf took the throne and married a woman named Solveig. However, Olaf was invaded by another king named Ivor. Ivor won the kingdom via conquest. Note that he was also the king of Denmark. And he also ruled a great part of Saxland and a great part of England. You have to wonder if this is maybe like Ivor the Boneless or something like that. Um, and a lot of people eventually fled Sweden because of him. This is where the story gets a little fuzzy. It seems at this point, Ivor, the new king, allows the son of Olaf, Halfdan, to be a sub-king of him. Halfdan was a mighty king of his lands. He died old and in his bed. So at that point, Halfdan had a son named Einstein. Einstein married a woman named Hild. He assumed and conquered many kingdoms. However, he died being thrown overboard at a sea battle. Einstein's also had a son named Halfdan, who married a woman named Liv. He was a great warrior. He was also known as the generous and the food center, meaning he didn't give his people food, but he gave them money. He eventually died at home in his bed, and his son Gudrod inherited the throne. Gudrod's uh, moniker was the Magnificent. He married a woman named Alfhild and had a son named Olaf. He then took a second wife named Asa. He took Asa by force after going to war with her father. 
Goodrod was eventually killed by a spear in the night while drunk at the orders of Asa, the woman that he married slash took. So then, if Gudrod has two sons, Olaf and Hafdan, with two different women, Olaf and Hafdan eventually shared the kingdom. Olaf was a mighty and great warrior who inherited the throne when Gudrod, his father, died when he was 19. Hafdan, however, was only one. Olaf had a son named Ragnvald. However, he died from disease. Hafdan eventually took his part of the kingdom. This Hafdan is Hafdan the Black who is the father of Harold Fairhair, who is the first unified king of Norway, supposedly. We do think he existed um, in real life. However, it remains to be seen how much of his existence is true, if that makes sense. And Harold Fairhair, if he did exist, probably was born around the year 850. So you can do the math, because I'm not going to, on how many years have passed since Freyr was supposedly alive. Anyway, that's it. I know this was a very monotone episode, but again, when considering the question of when does myth become legend and when does legend become rowdy, we do in it we do at some point know that Harold Fairhair in one of his son, like one or two of his sons, one being Eric Bloodaxe, the other being like Hack on the Good, we know that they probably existed. We know that Harold, their father, may have existed. Do we know that there was a character named Hafton the Black, his father? Maybe, but when does Hafton's line, if you keep going back and back and back, when does it just become completely made up? To wrap up our series on Frey, he's a very interesting god. He's considered among the best of the gods. However, Snorri, the author of the Prosetta and Hemskringla, gives a very humanized account of the gods. So if there, if there was a character that Frey was based on, maybe somebody that Snorri knew of that was like 800 years before he was alive, or maybe he was just trying to say, well, this god Freyr was actually human, and here's the proof, because I have information on all of his ancestors, excuse me, on all of his descendants. There was magic involved, there was like immortality in some cases, however, they were not gods, they were humans, which is what you would expect from Snorri, because he was a Christian as opposed to a pagan. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. I personally find this stuff fascinating. I know this might not be your cup of tea, but um, if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram. David or myself will answer um, when we have time. But, uh, you know, I appreciate geeking out with all of you. Thank you so much. Have a good night.